If you have your Bibles this morning, please open them to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we're going to go back to this passage of Scripture that we were in a couple of weeks ago. If you were not here last Sunday, we looked at the story of the paralytic. We took a little vacation, kind of drove out of the book of John and drove over into the Gospel of Luke. Well, we're going to drive back into the Gospel of John this morning. This is the Gospel that we have been walking through verse by verse on Sunday mornings. We have been looking at this series of sermons that I'm calling Getting to Know Jesus believe and live, if you've not been with us, that is exactly what John's desire was for his readers, that they would know who Jesus Christ is, and as a result of knowing who he is, that they would believe on him and they would experience life to the fullest. That is God's desire for every person's life. He created us to have relationship with him, and the only way we can truly experience life is in a relationship relationship with him he wants every single person to experience life he's come that he might give us eternal life now when we hear those words if you're like me the first thing that comes to my mind I think about something that's going to happen way down the road in the future one day but we experience eternal life at the moment in time we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior he came that we might have life to the fullest life to the fullest is not experienced in the things of the world Many people are looking for that. They are searching to fill this void in their life. You may be here this morning searching to fill that void in your life. And I will tell you this, you can search all day long trying to cram your life full of the things of the world. And at the end of the day, you'll still go to bed at night and there will be this emptiness in your soul because the missing piece of the puzzle is not the things of the world. It is Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? And the great news is Jesus desires to have a relationship with you. He wants that. He, can you imagine that for a moment? Jesus Christ, God in the human flesh, willingly went to a cruel cross, hung there and died so that we could have relationship with him. That is his desire. Oh, I would tell you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have never experienced the life that he wants to give you. There's nothing in the world like knowing Jesus as your Savior. He is the Lord who saves. And when he has his rightful place in your life, it changes, it gives you purpose in life. If you're searching for purpose in life, come to Jesus. That's what I would tell you this morning. Come to Jesus Christ. He will give you purpose in life. You know, one of the great privileges that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is every time we open the Word of God, we have the privilege of sitting at the feet of the Master. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, these words that we read in the Bible are the very words of the living God. And so every time we open them, we have an opportunity to have Jesus Christ sit down and speak to us. It's like what one man used to tell me. He said, you know, when I first became a Christian, I would read the Word of God. He said, I would take out a chair, and he said, I would sit it in the room across from me. And I would imagine Jesus Christ sitting there. 
And the very words that I was reading out of Scripture, those are the words that he was speaking to me as a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, really, that's what the Word of God is. And we have that opportunity each and every day that we open the Word of God to sit at the feet of the Master and to learn some life lessons from Him about how to live out the Christian life in the real world. Isn't that a great privilege? Well, this morning, as God's church, the body of Christ, we have that same privilege. We're going to be able to go to a text this morning, a passage of Scripture, John chapter 7, and in that passage, Jesus Christ is going to speak to us some life lessons, some lessons that He wants to give you and I to take with us as we live out the Christian life in this world. So let me ask you a question this morning. How challenging is it to live out your faith in the real world? <laughs> it's challenging. So we need all of the encouragement we can get, right? We need someone to come alongside of us and give us some life lessons that will help guide us, right? We have that privilege this morning right here in John chapter 7. Now, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you know the context of this story, Sinners on the Feast of Booths. It was one of the three most important feasts all Jewish men were required to attend or expected to attend three feasts. Two of them happened in the spring, Passover and Pentecost. And then the third one happened in the fall. It is this feast right here, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a joyous celebration. The children of Israel would come together. They would go to the, the temple for a week. They would celebrate the provision of God. They first reminded themselves of how God had prepared or how God had provided for their ancestors as they wandered in the wilderness. And then because it happened in the fall at harvest time, it was also a reminder of how God daily provided for their needs. But it also had future implications. It reminded them of a great promise in the Old Testament that God promised one day to send them a Messiah who would save His people. And they wanted to remind them that even God provided for them spiritually. It is in that context that these words are written and spoken right here in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. It's a joyous occasion. All of these men have gone up to the temple in Jerusalem together. They are celebrating. But can I also say to you, it's a sad occasion. As a matter of fact, it's one of the saddest occasions in the Bible. Do you know why that is? Because the very Messiah that they're waiting on is in their midst and they don't even realize it. You know, as I thought about that this week in my home, I realized there are a lot of people just like that in America today. They've seen Jesus, they've heard of Jesus, they believe that he was a good teacher or some prophet, but they don't really know 
who he is. That was true in this story. So this joyous celebration quickly turns to conflict. So I want us to begin reading right here in verse 14 of chapter 7 of this story. And we're going to see some life lessons as we read through this passage. And when we come to one, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to share with you the life lesson that we see through the words of Jesus Christ. So listen to what he says here in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Now, when I read those two verses right here at the beginning, the first thing that comes to my mind is this. Exactly what in the world was Jesus Christ teaching in the temple on that day? It must have been something quite astonishing. Even the people recognized that this man was unlearned. He was a simple carpenter, but his teachings were amazing. We're not told here in this passage of Scripture exactly what it is that Jesus Christ is teaching. I like to speculate perhaps Jesus Christ is teaching about the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe he's looking out at this crowd and he's saying, hey, what a joyous celebration, what a wonderful occasion. You have all gathered here to celebrate this wonderful feast, to remember who our ancestors were and how God had provided for them, to remember how God daily provides for us, but also to remember that God has promised that one day there will be this Messiah who will come and save the nation of Israel. He will usher in this new kingdom. I can almost imagine Jesus Christ standing up and saying, It is I. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting on. I don't know that that happened. That's speculation. But I do know this, that they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says here. Jesus Christ is going to begin to speak in verse 16. So listen to what he says. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority thinks, uh, seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now, I want us to pause right here because I believe in these opening verses that Jesus Christ speaks in this passage of Scripture is we see this very important life lesson that Jesus Christ wants us to gain this morning. This is it. If you're writing it down, you'll want to write this. We can trust Jesus because He is true. We can trust Jesus because He is true. Did you hear what Jesus Christ said to this crowd that had gathered around as they listened to Him teach? 
In verse 18, he says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, now listen, is true, and in him there is no falsehood. The word that Jesus Christ chooses to use here, that word true, actually means no deception. It carries the idea that Jesus Christ embodies all that is true. Now, because Jesus Christ is true, there's no deception in Him. I would tell you this morning, no matter what it is that you are facing in life right now, no matter what hardship you're going through, no matter what disappointment you may be dealing with, no matter what situation, what trial, what tribulation is going on in your life, I would tell you this today, because Jesus Christ is true, we can always trust that He will work in the perfect way in my life in every situation. Jesus Christ very clearly said in this passage, He is true. And in Him, there is no falsehood. There is no deception. When I read the words of Jesus Christ here, it reminds me of one of the great promises found in the Word of God. It's a promise that I memorized. I just want to kind of paraphrase it for you this morning. It's found in Romans, the 8th chapter, in the 28th verse. It says that God can take any situation that we face in life and He can work it to His good for those who love Him and have been called according to His purposes. How many of you know that promise? That's a promise that I've hung on to the vast majority of my life. But I want you to notice two different things about that promise that Paul gives us. First, it is a conditional promise. There are certain conditions that must be met in order for us to claim that promise in our life. What are the conditions? Well, gee, I mean, well, Paul gives them to us in that promise or in that verse. He says, for those who love the Lord and those who have been called according to His purposes, God can take whatever it is that you're facing in your life this morning and He can work it to His good. But the condition that must be met is we must love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body and we must live our lives according to His purpose if we're going to see the fulfillment of that promise in our life. It is a conditional promise. The second thing I notice about that is this. God doesn't, or Paul doesn't say in this passage of Scripture that God will work it to our good. That's not what he says. He says that he will work it to his good. Have you ever noticed God's understanding of good and our understanding of good actually many times are at polar opposites. You see, what we want to do is we want to claim this promise as our own, and we want to say to God, God, I want you to know I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and body. I'm living according to your purposes in my life. Now, what I want you to do is to take this circumstance over here. I've got it all figured out, and this is how I want you to work in that circumstance. And that is not what God does. 
Everything God does is for His good, and because it is for His good, it is for our good, and everything that God does is for His glory and for the furthering of His kingdom. Any work or fulfillment of any promise in our life will always be born out of the glory of God and the furthering of His kingdom. Always. So the first truth that we see here, our life lesson is this. We can trust Jesus because He is true, no matter what's going on in our life. We can trust that He will work in the perfect way. Now listen to me carefully this morning. I don't know what's going on in each person's life today, but I will tell you this, I know God. I know God because He has revealed Himself to us through His Word. And it doesn't matter how big a problem you think you have in life, it is not too big for God. God can deal with it. If we'll just take it and place it at His throne, He'll take it and work and do the right thing in it if we'll trust Him with it. All right, let's go back to this text. Let's look at it again. Let's pick up reading here in verse 20. The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Now, the work that Jesus Christ is referring to here is the healing that took place at the Pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus Christ, the religious leaders, accused Jesus Christ of breaking the law of Moses on that day. The Sabbath was the most holy of days in the Jewish life. And as a result of it being the most holy of days in the Jewish life, You could do no work. You could perform no duty on that day. So when Jesus Christ looked at this man at the pool of Bethesda and he said, you are healed, take up your mat and go home or take up your bed and go home, the religious leaders accused him of breaking the law on that day. He had broken the Sabbath by making that man work and by performing this miracle in his life. So you know what Jesus Christ is going to do? Jesus Christ is the master teacher. So he's going to use the law to show that what he did is no different than what they do as Jewish people. Now listen to what he says here. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it circumcised, uh, I'm sorry, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Now listen to what he says here. The key is found right here in verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So do you see what Jesus Christ does here in this passage of Scripture? He says, you accuse me of breaking the law. Well, what about circumcision? Circumcision was given to Moses by God. It was an outward sign of an inward reality. It was a sign that pointed to the children of Israel as belonging to God. What God had done in their life spiritually, according to the law, on the eighth day, every child, male child that was born to Jewish parents had to be circumcised. Jesus says, listen, you perform circumcision on the eighth day. Sometimes that is on the Sabbath. 
but then you want to accuse me of breaking the law, breaking the Sabbath by healing a man on the Sabbath? And then Jesus Christ makes that statement at the end. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It is in that statement that we see this important second life lesson. Here it is. Don't judge things by what is seen. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We would all agree on that this morning. We shouldn't judge things by what is seen. But I would ask you this. How often do we do that? We look at someone who is different on the outside than us. Maybe they're covered with tattoos. Or maybe they have spacers in their ears. And the first thing based on outward appearance, we begin to judge who that person is or isn't. That's exactly what Jesus Christ was talking about in this passage of Scripture. How many of you have ever heard of that expression? You can't judge a book by its cover. We've all heard that expression before in our lives. Jesus Christ makes that very clear in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to understand, I want you to notice something about the words of Jesus Christ here. Because the first time I read these words, I was blown away by them. Listen to what he says again and see if you catch it this time. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. I often hear well-meaning Christians running around making this statement. Well, we shouldn't judge people. Have you ever heard that statement before? But that's not what Jesus Christ says here, does he? Actually, Jesus Christ says just the opposite. Jesus Christ doesn't say don't judge. He says when you judge, make sure you judge correctly, is what Jesus Christ says. But I often hear Christians running around all the time saying, we shouldn't judge people. And I think to myself, well, that contradicts what Jesus Christ said in the Word of God. The problem is oftentimes we misunderstand the word judge. It's used, on two, or used in two different ways in Scripture. One way is always used in reference to God. And when it's used in reference to God, it always means to enact punishment. Only God has the right, the authority to enact punishment upon someone's life. We don't have that authority. I can never fully know someone's heart in the relationship with the Lord. God is just and merciful and righteous and he will deal with every person. If a person looks at me and says to me, Brother Jeff, I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. At that moment in time, it is not for me to judge whether or not they are lost or saved. That's between them and the Lord. Now, there's a second way that word is used in Scripture, and it's used in reference to Christians. It means to analyze or evaluate. To analyze. As a matter of fact, on more than one occasion, we as Christians are told to judge in that way. 
Did you know that? We are. The problem is this. We are not called to analyze and evaluate based on our own standard. We are called to analyze and evaluate based on the standard of God's word. That's what Jesus Christ is saying in this passage. I mean, listen to the words of Jesus Christ. What he spoke here in this passage of Scripture, he says, do not judge by appearances. They were judging by that which was superficial. They weren't judging based on the truth. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Right judgment is always based in the Word of God. Let me illustrate it like this. Y'all know I have three children. Uh, young son, two older daughters. And if I were sitting at home one day, just imagine with me for a moment, I'm sitting at home one day, and my middle daughter, Zoe, comes running down the stairs. She's crying. She's got a puffed-up eye on one side. Now, I know this doesn't happen in y'all's home. It's just, you know, just imagine with me. It takes a little, try to get your picture around this if you see this uh, family, I mean, parents. Comes running down, crying, her eyes all puffed up on one side. She looks at me, and she announces to me, Daddy, Levi punched me in the eye. Son, Levi, would you please come down the stairs? Now, in reality, I would have to call three or four times. But this is a story, so we're just going to say once. I call once. He's very obedient. He comes downstairs. As he's walking down the stairs, he's hanging his head down, you know. He comes down. Son, look at me now, son. And when he looks up at me, I could see it written all over his face. I don't even need to ask the question, but I want to give him an opportunity, you know. Did you punch your sister in the eye? Yes, Daddy. She came into my room, and she tore up my Lego set. You know, the, the story. And I look at him, and I say, Now, son, you know that is not how God desires for us to treat one another. In the Bible, we're told that we're to love one another. We're to encourage one another. We're not to treat one another in that manner. I've not judged him. I've analyzed and evaluated his actions according to God's word. And it is very easy for me to say at that moment in time, son, you are wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? In this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ makes it very, very clear to us that when we judge, we must judge correctly. Now, we don't have enough time to look at this story over in the Old Testament, but in that story, God makes it very clear to us how He judges people. He says to Samuel, when Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he's looking for a king, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart and I have searched and I have found a man after my own heart, David. So what we must do when we look at people's lives, we must pray and ask God to give us spiritual eyes to see what He sees that we might judge correctly and not incorrectly. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying here in this passage of Scripture. Don't judge things by what is seen. Don't do that. That's a warning for us, is it not? Yes, let's go back to this passage of Scripture and let's finish it out. 
Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Verse 27, but we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he, when the Christ appears will he do more of the signs than this man has done. Now, real quickly, life lesson number three, you want to write this down. This is a lesson that we all need to hear in America. We need to live according to God's timing. I'm going to tell you what, that's a word that we need to hear in America today. I'm convinced that the single greatest sin in America today is the sin of busyness. the sin of busyness. If God wanted to speak to us, we are so busy we don't have enough time to stop and listen to what it is he wants to say to us. Two times in this chapter, there's a reference made to time. The first time in the opening verses of chapter 7, Jesus Christ tells his brother, my time have not come yet. They wanted him to go up to Jerusalem and make a public display. The second time he says, here John does for us, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ's hour has not yet come. When I look at the life of Jesus Christ, I have come to realize that Jesus Christ was a man who lived according to God's timing, not the world's timing. Now, let's think about that for a moment. If Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Master, the one we should emulate as we live out the Christian life, if he found it important enough to live according to God's timing, what does that say about us? Shouldn't we live according to God's timing? Turn quickly over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. As we close this morning, I want you to hear these two verses of Scripture. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to a group of Christians. I want you to listen carefully. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Now, some of your Bibles or your version of the Bible may say redeeming the time. The word actually here, best use of time, redeeming time, actually means to buy back time. That's what it means. What if I told you this morning I had a formula that would help you to buy back time? I would think if I could bottle that and sell it this morning that I would have thousands of people waiting at the doors of this church house every Sunday. Wouldn't you agree with me? Come on now, this is yes, this is no. You know as well as I do, if I could give you some kind of formula that would get you more time in the day, more time in the week, more time in the year, you would say, Brother Jeff, I need that formula. The formula's right here. It's right there. 
You want to hear the formula? Here it is. Listen carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is written to a group of Christians. Did you know it is possible to be a believer and still not live wisely? It is. That's what he's saying here. This is what I've noticed, okay? This is what I've noticed in Christian life. You correct me if I'm wrong, all right? We want to be blessed by God. Isn't that true? How many of you want to be blessed by God this morning? All right. And so this is what we do. We set out in life on our own journey thinking that we know what is best and we live the way we want to live thinking God is going to bless that because I'm a believer. But let me tell you something this morning. God does want to bless us, not necessarily monetarily. He wants to bless us spiritually, and the only way God can bless us spiritually is by walking wisely, redeeming the time, making the most of the time that God has given us. It is utterly impossible for God to bless you if you don't redeem the time. That's what it's saying here in this passage of Scripture. You cannot be blessed. Think about it. We want to make the Christian life about do's and don'ts. I would tell you that's not what the Christian life is about. It's about living in relationship, and it's about making wise choices versus unwise choices is what it's about. And when we don't redeem the time, you know what happens? We don't walk wisely. And when we don't walk wisely, God cannot bless us spiritually. It's impossible. So how do we use time wisely? Let me give you just four practical ways very quickly. I'm just going to list them. First, by being accountable to God for how you use your time. Time belongs to God, not to us. Time is a gift given to us by our Creator. To be accountable to God for our time is to invest wisely. Now, everyone here this morning has made a wise investment of their time. By being in worship services, studying God's word with the body, singing praises unto the Lord is a wise investment of your time. When you choose the things of God over the things of the world, You are walking wisely. Do you see what I'm saying? You're walking wisely. Number two, how do we wisely use our time? By spending both quality and quantity time with your family. Listen, you need to choose to disconnect, to connect with those who are most important in your life. Now, I want you to hear this statistic. This is crazy. Common sense media said, on average, most teenagers are connected nine hours a day online. That means nine hours of screen time for your teenager. And we want to know what the problem is with our families. What if we cut that in half and we said this, four hours a day I'm going to spend in the Word of God with my family. 
What impact would that have on my family? Number three, you use your time wisely by serving the Lord. There is no time in life of the believer we are more like Christ than when we choose to serve. And number four, by viewing every opportunity in light of eternity. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus knew his time was limited on earth. He had no time to waste. That is the reason everything had to be done in light of God's timing. Now listen to me carefully. I would say the same is true of every one of our lives. Our days on this earth are numbered. The Bible very clearly teaches that. We must view every opportunity in light of eternity. How does God want me to use the time He has given me must be a question that every single Christian needs to ask of themselves. I mean, think about it. After all, it's His time, not ours. We walk wisely when we choose to redeem the time. And the question we must ask ourselves this morning is this, am I walking wisely?